This is Kate Turkington on Travels with Kate. 101.9 IFM, I'm Kate Turkington and a very, very good afternoon to you. This afternoon we're going to be talking tigers, can you believe? We're going to be talking trains and I'm going to be telling you some of the books I've enjoyed this year that I think you will enjoy too. But first of all, I want to tell you about a very, very special train. A train I've been lucky enough to travel on three times. I'm very, very lucky. It's one of the most super prestigious luxury trains in the whole world. What is it? It's the Palace on Wheels in India. Now, India, I know, when you mention India, you get a very mixed reaction. People either love India or they hate India. There never seems to be a middle path. And I'm one of these people. I've been many, many times. I love India. I love India with a passion. I've been all over. I've been high, high, high in the Himalayas, about as high as you can possibly get. I've been down south. I've been over to uh, Kerala and Goa. And everywhere I've been, I have loved the people. I have loved the experiences. So if you've never been to India, or maybe if you have, and if you can afford it, because you've got to have very deep pockets for the uh, pellets on wheels, but it's a train that goes from New Delhi all the way across to Jaisalmer, which is on the border of Pakistan, and on the way you stop at these absolutely amazing places, forts, palaces, princes, princesses, think about about, uh, it all. And you are looked after. And I mean, they were once upon a time the royal trains, or they are replicas rather, of the personal carriages that used to be used by the Maharajas and the Nizams and the viceroys of India. So really it is a royal train journey and it takes place in Rajasthan, one of India's India's most northernmost uh, provinces. So you would fly to Delhi, to New Delhi, and you would get on the train there. Now, let's just quickly talk about the accommodation before we talk about the um, journey itself. There are 14 carriages. They call them saloon cars. They're 14 carriages, and each of the carriages have got like four suites, as it were. So you're in a carriage with four with four suites, staterooms. They're all on suite. They've all got baths and showers. Look, they're small. I mean, you're on a train. You're not in, you're not in some uh, huge uh, sitting room or whatever. You are in an actual train, but you've got a bathroom, you've got a shower, you've got a lovely sofa to sink into, you've got lights to read by, you've got comfortable beds. Best of all, you've got huge plain glass windows, so you can actually lie on your bed and watch India uh, chug by. <laughs> and I had said the very first time I went, each each 
carriage, each um, carriage, each um, saloon, as they call them, with the with the four suites in, has a captain who looks after you. I mean, our captain was a former lawyer. His henchman, his the person who helped him, was also a former lawyer. You are dealing with absolutely amazing people who can talk to you and tell you everything that's going on. And just to give you some idea of the care and attention you get. You have stops at all these different places. I'll tell you about some of them. We stopped at one place and we'd been out all day. And we were all tired, but we had one very, very elderly couple with us. And we got back to the station and you could see her feet really, really hurt, this elderly lady. Let me tell you, By the time she got back to her carriage, to her saloon car, her captain had a a, a bronze bowl of heated rose water for her to put her feet into. He had noticed how sore her feet were. That, that, That service... Uh, let me tell you. And at the end of each saloon, you've got your four carriages. There's a little seating place where you can go and have a snack or a drink or just watch the world go by. And, of course, the train itself has a restaurant, all kinds of food. If you don't like Indian food, don't worry, they do. Continental food, they do. European food, they do. All kinds of uh, food. And then at the very end of the uh, train, you have this wonderful observation car with sofas and chairs where you can sit also and watch the uh, world go by. So where do you go on this fabulous train? Well, as I say, it begins in New Delhi. You arrive at the station, people put garlands of marigolds about your neck and lead you, lead you into your train into your carriage and then off you go chug 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 and your first stop is Jaipur This is Kate Turkington on Travels with Kate So where do you go on this fabulous train? As I told you it starts in New Delhi and the first stop is Jaipur sometimes called the Pink City, because some of the ancient old buildings are pink. And I must tell you, I woke up, rubbed my eyes, rubbed the sleep out of my eyes. Outside on the platform was an elephant, a beautifully caparisoned elephant. He had his toenails painted pink. He was covered in trappings. There was a seat on his back. I get up, I get dressed, I go up. My husband and I climb on the back of this elephant and we make our way up to the amber fort, which is like something from a fairy tale. It it stands high on a hill with high, high walls and up we go on our elephant to the amber fort where we climb off and go inside and I could talk for ages about the amber fort but I don't have time but what I will tell you is there's one little room inside I think they call it the room of mirrors but it's like the little bridal suite so it's this little room carved out of the rock but it's 
wallpapered, if you like, only it's not wallpaper, it's studded with little mirrors. The walls are covered, the rock walls are covered with little mirrors. And you go in and your guide lights a candle. And the candlelight flickers in these hundreds and hundreds of mirrors. Can you imagine a more romantic place to have your honeymoon or or whatever than that little room of uh, mirrors? And then later in Jaipur, there's something called the Palace of the Winds, which is all pink. Pink, pink, pink. You drive along the street. And by the way, the streets you drive along in Rajasthan, in other parts of India, it's traffic, traffic, traffic. Don't think it's like Joburg, Cape Town, Plum, wherever, London, Rome, Paris traffic. It's very, very heavy traffic. But you may be in a bus, you may be in a car. There's an elephant plodding along behind you. There are monkeys sitting on the buildings watching as you go along and there are hardly any bad crashes. You give way to whatever is in front of you. So if there's an elephant in front of you, you will give it right away. If there's a rickshaw, a man on a bicycle rickshaw pedalling along, you give him right away. Somehow, our guide said to us, the thing about traffic in India, the system of traffic in India is there is no system. But actually there is. If you get your nose or your trunk ahead of the vehicle behind you, you will get right of way. So the next stop on the Palace on Wheels, back back on your train, and off you go, chug, 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 often through the night. They do it very cleverly so that you're travelling on the train at night time, so you've got the whole day, the next day, to go to places and visit forts and palaces. But the next place we went to is Rantambore National Park, where you actually go to see tigers. I must tell you, I've been to that park three times. I haven't seen a whisker or an ear of a tiger. I'm sure there are tigers there. They're very skittish. A lot of people go into those parks. There's a huge encroaching population around those uh, parks. So I had to see my free-roaming tigers in the free state, and I'm going to be telling you uh, about that in just a moment. Would you believe having to see free-roaming tigers in South Africa's free state? Didn't see tigers, saw a sloth bear uh, slouching across the road, lots and lots of beautiful birds. And you go at crack of dawn, no elephant takes you, you go in a game vehicle, back for breakfast on the train, and then you go off to your next uh, stop, which is a, a fort, another fort called the Chittagar Fort, largest fort in India. You can't believe how big these forts are. Why were there forts? Because India was a nation. Well, it wasn't a nation. It was a bunch like England, Scotland, like Europe in the old days, like Africa. It was actually a bunch of warring states. Uh, this state was trying to get territory in that state etc. You know the story. And the Rajas, the Maharajas, were always trying to get more land for themselves too. So they built forts to 
uh, to warn off their enemies. And then uh, a, a city you've probably seen on television, the lake city of Udaipur. And you've got this beautiful lake. You've got palaces all around the lake and rising like a dream out of the middle of the lake is this palace. It's been the site of so many movies. It's been the subject of so many books. But it has the most dreamlike quality. You ride on the lake. Mind you, I was there one year when the lake was dry. But usually the the lake is full and you've got this wonderful palace in, in the uh, middle of it. And the last stop, almost the last stop on your train, is Jaisalmer. And that's, they call that the blue city because most of the buildings are blue. It's right next to Pakistan and there's a huge desert there called the Tar Desert, T-H-A-R, the Tar Desert. They call it the Great Indian Desert as well. And we rode camels in the Great Tar uh, Desert and then they brought us back and <laughs> And they gave us on the train a very English tea with cucumber sandwiches and Earl Grey or whatever the tea was, some very posh uh, tea or other. And then, of course, the last stop. And I have been lucky enough to be to go there now a few times. It's one of the wonders of the world. It doesn't disappoint. So often you go to a place you've been told about, you've read about, it's one of the wonders of the world. When you get there, maybe it doesn't always quite live up to expectations. But the Taj Mahal in India, this gleaming white palace built by a Maharaja for his dead wife, it's it's breathtaking. It's breathtaking. It's made of marble. And when the sun shines on it, when you go inside, the marble is translucent. So you're inside, like being inside a seashell almost, with the light coming through the marble walls. Everybody has sat there. Everybody who's ever visited has had their photograph taken on a bench in front of this beautiful beautiful building. There's a very famous picture of the late Princess Diana of England sitting there looking very sad on the bench in front of the Taj Mahal. So, as I say, you need deep pockets, but if you haven't been to India, if you can afford to go on the Palace of Wheels, I can't recommend it highly enough. But, of course, there are other trains all over India as well. Beautiful trains that go from A to B and from X to uh, Z. So, if you're interested in trains and travelling on them, then you must Google the trains of uh, India. And just lastly, I went to the very middle of India on a tiger hunt uh, to Nagpur, which is bang in the middle. And there's a very famous national park there called Pinch, which is where Rudyard Kipling, the author Rudyard Kipling, got the idea of the Jungle Book and Mowgli there. And not at all the jungle I expected. Tarzan wouldn't have come swinging through. It was, in a way, a bit like the Lowfelt. There were trees and lakes and open land. And eventually, I did see, in the distance, a tiger and two cubs. But it was a long way 
it was a long way uh, to go. So there you go. Think about India. Maybe you thought, oh, no, I don't want to go to India. Believe me, you will go, and you will probably be seduced, you will be charmed, and you will probably go back. This is Kate Turkington on Travels with Kate. 101.9, hi FM, it's Kate Turkington. We've been talking India, we've been talking tigers. Did you know that you can see free roaming tigers in South Africa? We're not talking about petting zoos, we're not talking about exotic farms, we're talking about tigers in the wild. And joining me now is Rodney Drew. He, he actually is a man who's seen a dream come true. Why? Because he is achieving the almost impossible. He's raising free-roaming tigers in the free state. Welcome, Rodney. Hello, Kate. Yeah, thank you. How did it all begin, Rodney? Um, hi, Kate. Yes, I... I um... The family and myself were very interested in in traveling and we went, in, in all the years, we went out many times to different reserves, different countries, uh, being with the wildlife. And as we got into the year 2000s, I, I knew that's what I wanted to spend my, my time with, especially my retirement years. So um, we we slowly but surely got more and more involved in wildlife and, and then met John Varty, in 2009 at Tiger Canyon, which is where I am now, and um, and began to take over from him. As he got older, as he retired, uh, we got more involved and uh, built the first lodge at Tiger Canyon in 2017, and became you know directly involved in in running this private game reserve, which is dedicated to to tigers and cheetahs. Rodney, exactly where is it, Tiger Canyon? Yeah, we are in the Free State Province. We're on the banks of the Orange River and the Fundakluif Dam. It's not well known, the Fundakluif, but it is South Africa's second biggest dam. Um, and we have a 6,000 hectare reserve near the town of Philippolis, okay. which also happens to be the first sort of town, um, colonial town anyway, built in the Free State in 1823, approximately. It's a, I know it's a, a very historic little town. It's full of national monuments and, of course, uh, uh, an NG Kirk, and, but beautiful. And, of course, Lawrence van der Poss, King Charles, now King yes. Charles's godfather, uh, was born there. And I've been to the house and I've also walked that um, that wonderful circle, the labyrinth that is built there. So, so yeah. you're what, 20 minutes from Philippolis? That's right. Uh, 20 minutes in a westerly direction onto the banks of the Fundacruz. Now, tigers. Why tigers? It's because the tiger is so endangered, and most of us who live in Africa don't realize how endangered the tiger is. Uh, but if you Google top 10 most endangered animals, you're going to come up with the tiger as one of them. Uh, the tiger is in huge trouble in Asia, where its home range is. And myself and my partner, you know, identified with that. We, 
we have the land available in in Africa, in South Africa. We we have the expertise, we have the passion, and we said we want to do something to, you know, help the the plight of the tiger, um, and that's why uh, we brought in the year 2000, which is over 20 years ago now, uh, tigers in from other countries, which started off this population that we've now got of wild or rewilded tigers here in, in the Free State. Now, Rodney, I'm sure there are detractors. You're going to get woke people or whatever, or animal people say it's wrong to raise tigers in South Africa. What would your response be? No, we definitely get that. Um, no, I th- we say that somebody's got to start somewhere to help the, the tiger. And some of the bigger organizations, non-profits like the WWF and Panthera, they, they're spending all their efforts helping to save the tiger in its home range. Um, we said it's prudent to, to start an ex-situ population of tigers, you know, based on some of the experiences like with Dr. Ian Player and the rhinos. We believe that it's, it's the right thing to do to start to, a population of tigers wild tigers outside of Asia. Um, and and many of the things we do here are firsts in the world to try and understand the behavior of the tiger and ready ourselves for the tiger becoming closer and closer to extinction because it's by far the most endangered big cat in the world. And um, there's no other place in the world that's doing research and trying to understand the tiger and its behavior in case it does become extinct in the wild. And you say you've come up with some firsts there at Tiger Canyon. Tell us about those. We are the first to rewild captive-born tigers. Um, Nobody else in the world has uh, tried to see whether you can rewild a big cat. And then if you look at the tigers, there are more tigers in captivity in the world. There's apparently about 10,000 tigers in captivity in the USA alone than there are wild tigers in the world. There's only approximately 4,000 wild tigers left in Asia. So some of the subspecies of tiger, and there are currently six remaining subspecies of tiger, are are so low in numbers that they're on the critically endangered list, which means that there's pretty much none left in the wild. The only remaining species are captive. Sure. So it's, it, it makes sense to us to test whether we can take a captive tiger and progressively rewild it, because if we can, then we represent the only hope there is for tigers to be rewilded from captive-born populations, captive-born species, and place them back in the wild. Well, I mean, so I, that's the first thing. first thing. I've been to Tiger Canyon. I've seen those tigers roaming the plains, roaming the mountains, roaming the scrub. They look perfectly, perfectly. How many tigers have you got there, Rodney? Because the population is wild, the numbers fluctuate. In other words, there are times when we have new births and there's times when we have death. 
Um, so in recent years, we've, we've been up to 26. So that would be pretty much the, the maximum capacity of our size of land, 26 tigers. And then there are other times when we've been down to 12 or 13 tigers. And, um, and then, you know, we, we wait for the tigers to breed to reproduce. So the numbers fluctuate um, according to, you know, what we allow to breed and not to breed. And obviously you've got to be very careful about not mixing the gene pools or, or rather not getting the gene pools to interbred. That is right. It's um, Look, it's very difficult if you've got South African-born captive tigers because you don't know their backgrounds. You don't know clearly what subspecies of tiger exists in them because you're getting your source of tigers out of the South African pool. Um, the same would go with the USA because the tigers aren't um, born in the USA. Well, no, they, their home range is not in the USA. If you get a tiger from the USA, you're not quite sure what it's what subspecies you're getting. But if you get a stud book tiger, uh, such, for example, as the South China tigers, um, there's only about 100 South China tigers remaining in the world. They are all in captivity, but they're all stud book. Uh, and you start to breed them and rewild them. Uh, then you would make, make need to make sure that you don't cross-breed them in any way with any of the other South African species of tiger. And I know, and you were very surprised, and I mean, I saw it with my own eyes, uh, your lion, lions, your tigers threw one of the only free-roaming white tigers in the world. That was just happenstance, wasn't it? You were very surprised. Yes, but pleasantly surprised. We... <laughs> We had the original four tigers. Two came from Canada and two came from South Africa. And all of them were normal colored uh, tan brown tigers. And that, from them, suddenly we found um, a white tiger born. Um, so that means we knew from that point onwards that our tigers carry the white recessive gene in the gene pool. And now today we have two white wild white tigers at Tiger Canyon, and they are, represent the only wild white tigers in the world. All the other white tigers are in zoos, even in Asia. And just, you know, just to give people an idea of what happens, I mean, you go out on the game drive, you're in a very, very big property, and anybody who knows the bush or been to the bush knows you can't promise sightings. So you go out, you hope you see one of these magnificent animals. I mean, I was so lucky. I, your rangers, I mean, they've been there 10 years. They're some of the top game rangers, field guides in South Africa. And, and uh, Nick, our ranger, said to us, look, you know the story. You're a bush person. We might be out all day. Who knows? Within five minutes, even, he was surprised. We found the most beautiful tiger dozing under a bush. And when you see them, it, it actually takes your breath away because you think lions are big. My word, they look like pussycats compared to tigers. But, but Rodney, tell us too about Tiger Canyon, where one stays, and what you did to make it authentically 
eco-friendly. Yeah, thank you. Um, the we are we are a private game reserve, just the same as many others that um, host the Big Five in South Africa. It just we dedicate the reserve to big cats, um, and we have the same prey species as any of the other private game reserves in the country. The the difference though is we have the tiger, not the lion. Um, so we have a lodge um, which we built in 2017 on the edge of a canyon, hence the name Tiger Canyon, uh, which makes it unique. It's an off-grid lodge, solar-powered lodge. Uh, there is no electricity in this vicinity. And um, and that's the first thing that guests see when they arrive is this unique positioned lodge. After that, we, we run the place pretty similar to the other safari um, destinations in the country. We have fantastic guides and game viewers. The difference, though, on the game viewer side is ours are enclosed um, because the tigers, we've got to be careful of them. they being hand-raised. They're not all of them, or some of them are hand-raised. Um, they're not all um, wary of the cars, and some of them might jump on, on the cars or in the cars. So you have to be careful. Our vehicles are all closed, and it helps with the weather conditions anyway. But it, it also helps to differentiate ourselves from the all the others that are out there, which is something we like to do, is differentiate everything we do as much as we can. I'm but the experience you. is very similar to any um, safari destination and where you go out on game drives twice a day with experienced guides explaining the, the geology and the the land and the grasses and 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 the, the habitat and how suited it is or isn't to the tigers and the cheetahs. I'm, I must tell you, Rodney, I'm, as you know, <laughs> I think I've been to more game lodges almost than the years I've been alive. I walked into Tiger Canyon, which is built on the lip of a canyon. <laughs> it took my breath away. I walked in. There's only three rooms, by the way, so you're not crowded with other people. I walked onto the deck overhanging that canyon, and it literally took my breath away for the sheer the sheer beauty of it. But just before we finish, Rodney, tell us too about the cheetahs, because your 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 uh, raising tigers, the only free-roaming tigers in South Africa and Southern Africa, maybe Africa, uh, but you're also helping cheetahs. Just tell us about that. When we got involved in 2013 and we bought more land to expand the size of the land that was originally here for the tigers, we decided to add the, the cheetah element. And the reason is that Cheetahs have been eradicated in the Free State. There are no wild cheetahs in the Free State, which some people will be quite surprised to hear. Um, so back in 2013, we were the first to reintroduce wild cheetah into the Free State. Um, so in association with EWT, the Endangered Wildlife Trust, um, we are now a member of theirs. In terms of we, we – um, breed cheetah specifically for the metapopulation, the Africa metapopulation. And uh, to date, we've donated 10 cheetah to other reserves. Some have gone to Malawi and Mozambique. Um, and we enjoy, you know, having the cheetah, so Africa's most endangered big cat, 
alongside Asia's most endangered big cat. We think that theme goes well. Well, Rodney Drew, thank you so much. That's Tiger Canyon in the Free State. It's absolutely amazing. You can find it on www. You don't need to say that anymore, but just in case, Tiger Canyon, all one word, lowercase, tigercanyon.com. And you can also go onto my own website, kateturkington.com, and I put up some stunning photographs of tigers and cheetahs. You, you won't be able to stop yourself going there, I promise you. This is Kate Turkington on Travels with Kate. 101.9 High FM, I'm Kate Turkington, and we're talking books. We always talk books in this part of the programme. And what I thought I'd do is just tell you some of the books that I've enjoyed this year that I think maybe you might enjoy as well. The I came quite late to this one. It's called Pira Nisi, Pira Nisi, P-I-R-A-N-E-S-I. You see, once an English teacher, always an English teacher, I'm going to spell things out. It's by Susanna Clark. It's published by Bloomsbury. She published her first book, oh, good, about 20 years ago now, and it was a very strange 800-page book. It was like a historical fantasy. I hate fantasy and I hate sci-fi, let me tell you. But it was called Jonathan Strange and Mr. Norrell, about two magicians. I don't know if you read it. I read it. It became a global bestseller. It was almost like a Harry Potter for adults, if you like. Anyway, her second book, she wrote it actually 16 years after she'd written... uh, Miss uh, Jonathan Strange and Mr. Norrell, called Piranesi. It is fantasy, but it's much more than fantasy because the end, the end has such a kick. You can't, you can't expect the end. You won't even begin to believe what the end is. But it takes place, the book, is about a guy called Piranesi who lives in a palace. And the palace, all alone, is just filled with halls and chambers and rooms, and everywhere in the rooms are statues. There's like a boy playing cymbals. There's a squatting gorilla. There's a woman carrying a beehive. These are all statues, and he spends his life in his palace. But at the bottom of the palace are tides, is the sea, And the sea comes in, and he has to be very careful to dodge the tides. Sometimes he has to find a statue and climb on its head so that he doesn't get swept away by the ocean. But all, all is not as it seems. I'm not going to tell you anymore. You'll either love it or hate it. I absolutely loved it. I couldn't put it down. It's called Piranesi by Susanna Clarke. And then, of course, there's a new Barbara Kingsolver. I'm sure many of you read the Poisonwood Bible. Well, she's come up with a 500-page, I'm about halfway through it at the moment, called Demon Copperhead. And guess what it's based on? D.C. It's based on a Dickens novel called David Copperfield. This is called Damon Copperhead. 
about an orphan, and there you go. It has lots of similarities. Again, totally unputdownable novel. And non-fiction. I'm sure lots of you read Sapiens, A Brief History of Mankind, by Yuval Noel Harari, Professor Harari. It was almost like a sleeper book. Again, became a global bestseller because it's a thoroughly readable account of human beings from, from when they first began. If you like, the origin of the species to post-humans. That was called Sapiens. Well, he's got a new one out called not Homo sapiens, but Homo Deus. Deus being the Latin word for gods. And he subtitled it A Brief History of Tomorrow. It's published by Harvard Secker. So what does he write about? Well, he examines what might happen to the world when all the old stories, all the old myths are coupled with new godlike technologies, such as artificial intelligence, AI, genetic engineering. So he says humans conquered the world because of their ability, this is what he believes, in collective myths, in stories about gods, money, equality, freedom. That's that's what he talks about in that first book, Sapiens. In Homo Deus, Professor Harari looks to the future and he explains and explores how global power might shift because the natural, the principal force of evolution is not going to be natural selection anymore, not going to be the survival of the fittest. What's it going to be? It's going to be intelligent design. So think about this. This is, oh, it's such a fascinating book. What will happen to democracy when Google and Facebook come even more than they do now to know our likes, to know our political preferences better than we know them ourselves. What will happen to any state, a welfare state, whatever kind of state, when computers push humans out of the job market? Look, it's already happening. They're going to push humans out of the job market and create a massive new useless class. What's going to happen to all those people who get pushed out of their jobs by AI? So he wonders, will Silicon Valley end up producing new religions? So he writes, as Homo sapiens becomes Homo deus, what new destinies will we set for ourselves? Are we going to make new gods? What, what, how are we going to protect our very fragile planet and humankind from its own destructive powers? I mean, it's happening now. Let's face it, it's happening now. So the book Homo Deus, it gives us a glimpse of the dreams and the nightmares that are going to shape the rest of our century. A book for anybody who's a thinker or who's interested. I'm the most, most non-scientific person in the world. I absolutely loved it. If you want some modern political history and not think about the future, then read Jacques Poe's 
new book. You know, he wrote The President's Keepers. He's followed it up with Our Poisoned Land, Living in the Shadows of Zuma's Keepers. It's not going to cheer you up uh, because when Ramaphosa's office in 2018, he appointed new heads, as we know, for law enforcement agencies. He formed the investigating directorate within the National Prosecuting Authority to bring fraudsters, fraudsters, looters to book. Yet, as Jacques Poe writes, five years on, crime has spiked. Most of the looters still walk free and the law enforcement agencies are in shambles. What went wrong? Well, once again, Jacques delves deep to find answers. And then if you've got a sporty person in the family, and I love cricket and I'm a cricket fan, you've got Faf Duplessis' autobiography, Faf Through Fire. And he really tells it all. This is warts and all. At times it's brutally honest sometimes incredibly introspective, but it does give a real insight into one of South Africa's, I think, most interesting and charismatic national captains. So if you've got a cricket fan in the family, if you're a cricket fan yourself, faff through fire. It's Flyleaf Publishing. Okay. Remember, you can always email me at kate at high you can also email me at kate at kateturkington.com. You can have a look at my website, kateturkington.com. I won't be with you again until January the 8th, the new year. Be good. I wish you lots of love and light, and I will see you on January the 5th, 2023.